to Nimsy Live. My name is Tucker Johnson. I am your host today as we experience Nimsy Live, where we talk about the latest and greatest in translation, localization, internationalization, culturalization, and all that fun stuff global companies need to delight their international customers, or at least to not piss them off too much. On this program, we invite guests who like to have fun and have some value to add for our audience of globalization professionals. I'm always eager to provide a platform to those with a good story or a good data set. So let us know if there are any topics you'd like covered or guests we should reach out to for future episodes. <coughs> Excuse me. If you haven't already done so, make sure that you are subscribed to Nimsy Insights <coughs> or following us on your social media platform of choice. We are coming to you live today on LinkedIn, Twitter, X, Facebook, and I believe that's it, and YouTube, of course. And of course, all of these episodes for Nimsy Live, as well as other content, can be found on the Nimsy Insights YouTube channel, where we archive everything. Quickly, before we get into our, our episode today, I want to give a quick shout out to the Localization Today podcast. Many of you guys are familiar with Multilingual Magazine. Many of you are subscribers. Of course, we are going to be featuring some content from Multilingual Magazine today uh, in this episode. But what you might not know is that there is a podcast that if you like the daily news about our industry that is published on multilingual.com, you can also find that in audio format and short snippets. So it's an easy way to stay up to date on industry news wherever you are. You can subscribe on your platform of choice available on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, Castro, Pocket Cat, you name it. You just search for Localization Today podcast and you can find that. As far as upcoming events, I don't have a lot on the calendar right now, but today is another double feature. I will be talking to Mark Schreiner right after this. We're going to be hearing some exciting stuff about RFP management processes, which is a big topic for not only myself, but for a lot of clients here at NMZ Insights. So I'm very much looking forward to that conversation. Quick intro to today's topic. As we dive in, in this episode, we are going to be speaking with Marina Elari, who is CEO of Terra Translations, of course. We're going to be discussing the challenges, rewards, and factors that contribute to the success of video game localization. We will also analyze a case study of the localization of Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice, which is also available in the September issue, also known as the Kate Edwards issue, on page 56 of Multilingual Magazine translators and ninjas so you can follow along with us there we'll be pulling some quotes directly from the article marina is ceo of terra translations a global localization and lqa company marina has over 17 years experience in the localization industry and a lifetime experience as a gamer in 2017 she received the women-owned business enterprise rising star award presented by the Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation to a young business with great promise. And in 2020, she received the Enterprising Women of the Year Award. In 2022, Terra Translations was listed by Inc. Magazines as one of the fastest growing private companies in, Amer in America. Marina, welcome to the show. How are you today? Hi, thank you so much for having me. Did, did I'm I, excited to be here. Did I, it's live, which it, makes me really nervous <laughs> it's live it's but that's by design we're supposed nervous means dynamic right yes. we, we can't be too scripted here on this podcast 
So you have quite the resume. Of course, I've known you for quite some time. We've been working with Terra Translations for some time and collaborating with Multilingual Magazine. You're, you're a frequent contributor to Multilingual Magazine. Uh, tell us a little bit about Terra Translations and the work that you do there. Oh, goodness. Um, well, Terra Translations was actually founded by my mother. So I am the second generation CEO of the company. I've been the CEO now for six years. Um, we um, began 25 years ago, or should I say my mother began the business 25 years ago, um, mainly focusing Spanish and Latin America. And since then it's, it's grown into a multilingual um, business and we do a lot of uh, video games. In fact, uh, a large, large portion of what we do is related to a video game localization and LQA. Yeah, and I'm really fascinated by that. And before we jump into case studies and video games and talking about Sekiro, which I know a lot of people are excited to hear about um, because they love the game, and there's some interesting localization case studies to be had there. Uh, before we jump into that, um, I'm really interested in Terra. You, you guys weren't always a video game company. And no. so I, I want to pick your brain on this a little bit because I know there's a lot of LSPs that would love to break into the game localization space. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I've said this on previous episodes, but in my mind, the game localization space is kind of insulated. It's, it's kind of, mm -hmm. there's a high barrier to entry there. There's some gatekeeping, if you want to use that term. I, 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 I don't like that term, but... <laughs> it, it, it's hard to get into, and uh, let's just say, for an it's LSP that doesn't have It's a very particular niche. Yeah. Yes, it is a very particular niche, and uh, the clients you'll be working with are like usually people who are extremely passionate about video game localization. That's why they pursued a career in something that they were like super passionate about and super uh, usually knowledge knowledgeable about right uh, so i think in that sense it is a very particular niche if you are trying to to get in and you perhaps don't understand the industry or you don't care as a whole about the industry like uh, those potential clients will uh, can tell right away right. <laughs> you know what you're talking about if you're part of their community right so for us um being part of that community actually meant uh, many, many years of attending uh, conferences and events and talking to people and doing presentations and writing about it. And it took years and years. It was not like an overnight thing that we said, um, oh, now we're going to be doing the game localization because Marina is really interested in that, right? right. <laughs> it wasn't like that. Um, uh, it was years and years, and I remember the leadership of my team at, at one point was doubting that we should continue investing in this industry because we were not seeing uh, returns. Right. <laughs> but I had well, my. I mean, it, to be like honest, I. On my part, but I had my, really my eyes set. Like I knew this was the industry that that I wanted Terra to continue to pursue, and I could see it. Um, but yes, uh, it was a, a long journey. I can tell you that. <laughs> well, I, I know because I've, I've been watching you along the way. So, uh, you've been working, Nimzi and, and Tara has been working together for a number of years now. And I mean, just being honest, there were times when I was like, oh, I don't know if they're investing in, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't want to discourage them. People who are like, including my mom, like sure. she's watching, mom, I love you. But my mom at some point was like, Marina. Are you sure this is the path we should continue to take? Yeah, so that. <laughs> but I, mean, I was just so, so sure of this, Tucker. Like there was no doubt in my mind. Like you were called to the, it. The, the path that we needed to take. Um, 
yeah, but it was tough to to get those um, you know people doubting it because it's uh, it's a lot. It's a lot of investment of time and effort and energy and um, yeah, and just carrying your team uh, through that vision too, right? To have them um, have the buy-in from them and, and believe in it. Uh. Yeah, and, and it's a lot about just street cred, right? Credibility in mm -hmm. in the gaming mm -hmm. space. Like people, they yes. want to know. Like, are you a gamer? Like, do you understand mm -hmm. okay. our user base? Do you understand exactly. the complexities behind this? Exactly. And it's not like a lot of other industries where an LSP can just easily start going into a different vertical because they mm -hmm. create a supply chain for it, right? Right, exactly. And you exactly. actually need to be eating, breathing, and sleeping this stuff, which you guys do. Yeah, it's, it's all about creating do. trust, right? Like, and creating um, that... Um, likability within your your clients and your vendors but also like mainly trust like do they trust that you know uh, that you know how to do things and that you're doing things right and that you just like you said understand the industry inside out understand their target audience right those gamers that they're trying to reach um and there's no better to understand it than to be one yourself right like you can like absolutely oh, yeah. relate to their their clients and that's where i think um it's a really good match but i, I think that's why not many companies specialize in this niche because it is a very particular and kind of close-knitted niche that is kind of hard to get into right? um if you if you don't have that experience um it takes it takes time it can be done obviously i mean we we did it but um it, it does take um a lot of time and vision well, and I know, like, you guys have such geek cred that you even have a podcast. Let me pull it up here. This is the Terra, Terra home, homepage for those of you that want to go check it out, terratranslations.com. You can find yeah, out, out. <laughs> more about what they do. But what I wanted to show you all is the Open World is just launched season two. Tell us, what is Open World? Yes, Open World. This is a passion project um, that my team created uh, three years ago. And we did a season one um, about a year and a half ago. It finished, I believe. Um, and now we're on season two. And Multilingual was so uh, generous to want to partner with us uh, for this. And it's basically a video cast talking about video game localization, um, localization in general, but with a strong focus on uh, video game localization and like, and some nerdy topics of the like, like, um, yeah, I'm sorry. Like that's the, <laughs> that's the term that comes to mind is nerdy. When, when I think of it, I'm glad you said it first. I wasn't going to say it, <laughs> but if, I say it with all my love because I exactly. consider myself one. <laughs> well, it, it, it's that intersection between video game nerdiness and localization nerdiness. Cause a lot of people yes. like to geek yes. out on localization. Very passionate about both. Yes. Like get them together and it's exactly. <laughs> and it's the only, it's the only podcast out there of its kind as, as far as I know. So I wanted to make sure that we gave that a plug, but let, let's we go. We have great guests, uh, uh, so definitely ch check it out. We have great hosts and great guests. Great insights. Yep. So. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, let's go into. You recently published, as I was mentioning in my intro, the um, translators and ninjas localizing mm -hmm. Sekiro: Shadows Die Twice. And for those of you that are fellow game geeks or from software fans um 
you know Sekiro. It, it, it needs no introduction. But, you know, for those people out there that aren't, um, tell us a little bit about Sekiro. What's the game? What was... Um, mm-hmm. Give us the background. Yes, the game is from, from software. It was published in 2019, and it won Game of the Year. Mm-hmm. So it was a, this is a big, big deal for the gaming community. And, um, yeah, the, the game is uh, ba- based in a fictional um feudal japan world um where you play as a ninja and you have to uh basically uh save this uh, young lord that has the potential of um uh being being uh, immortal through through his blood i don't know it's, it sounds kind of complicated it's a from software you're, game you're, it's a from software a game is all you need to say it's yeah. don't try to understand it <laughs> Sorry. It's a, it's a role-playing game, just to make it really simple. It's a role-playing action game where yeah. you play as a ninja. Yeah. There. I could have said it so much more simpler. <laughs> and I, I love this. Uh, translators are like ninjas. You quoted at the end of your article, but I'm going mm-hmm. to start this episode mm-hmm. with it. Translators are like ninjas. If you notice them, they're no good. And yes. I love this quote. I love mm-hmm. this quote mm-hmm. because translation the the idea you know we've all heard this before but the idea behind a good translation is you don't even know it's there it feels like mm-hmm. it was written or produced right. in it in your native language and where you actually notice the translation is when someone somewhere screws up something yeah right, right? and if there <laughs> is a translation is in the news right? yeah and if there is an audience or a fan base that loves pointing out flaws in, in products, I would say the gaming community ranks ranks up there with oh that. They they will pick yes. through everything with a fine tooth comb, mm-hmm. and that that kind of brings us into the the discussion here about your experience with Sekiro. Yes. Because not only are you localizing from mm-hmm. English into well, tell us uh you know the experience. I'm assuming Spanish to, or Spanish localization or. We did not localize this game, by the way. This oh, you, is all okay, my okay. own personal research. So you are one of the rabid fans. Like, yes. You uh, are, this I, is and just reading, you. And also okay. reading, which was really interesting, reading what the fans were saying about the game, right? Because something really interesting that happened with this game in particular is that um, there, there were mods created around the game. So mods are yeah. like modifications or alterations of, of the game where the fans go and, and change things. And one of the things that were changed somewhat drastically was actually the translation, because many fans were not happy with how some of the, the names were localized, some of the meaning was lost behind, some of the cultural references were lost behind it. Um, and again, these details can be kind of like idiosyncratic, like it could be um, some t- stylistic preferences on the fans, so to say. There were some, supposed uh, fixes to also some um, terms that were not uh, translated correctly mm. or um, omitted or things like that that the mod developers uh, you know me- mentioned but I thought it was really interesting to analyze because it's a game so full of um, archaic um, words and cultural historical references it's a game that uh, has references to uh, mythology and philosophy and Buddhism and all these things. <laughs> so incredibly, a, a lot of things that just don't translate. don't translate, right? Because mm-hmm. like in order to 
get the punchline, so mm-hmm. to speak, you have to yeah. know Japanese culture because mm-hmm. it's so deeply rooted in that. Yeah. Yeah, and the fact the fact that we are talking about ninjas, this was really interesting because actually that that um, phrase that you just showed about you know translators are like ninjas, mm-hmm. that actually came to me at the end when I was finishing the article because mm-hmm. like this is so cool I'm talking about translations and ninja and I remember this phrase it was kind of like like a realization that I had like uh, oh there, there's actually a really famous quote about ninjas and translators and it's this quote and basically in my article what I do which obviously the phrase as we understand it it makes perfect sense because of what we were discussing right yeah. you don't want um, translators to be um, uh, the translation to to be noticed right you right. want it to sound and resonate and feel like it was written just for you as an, as an audience member right um, but really in my article, what I challenge is like, maybe we should notice translators more, like maybe translators as ninjas, this concept, I kind of want to like shake it up because mm-hmm. um, by noticing translators and just including them and not having it be an afterthought, it's just, um, it could be a much better experience for the localization of the game, so to say. So that was sort of my, <laughs> my uh, ending of the article. You can check it out on and- Tell me what you think, but I, I'm kind of challenging that phrase and thinking that maybe we should notice translators uh, a bit more and make it part of the process a bit more. Well, and but when you say that, let's be clear, when you say that, you're talking more about not necessarily that you want translators to be noticed by the end users, um, mm-hmm. noticing the translations, but that you want them to be more included in the processes and this isn't something i would say is unique to video game localization we're always Mm -hmm. fighting to move localization upstream so to speak right and i I did pull a quote from from your article you said about localization as an afterthought you say when localizing a game that is rich in culturally specific references and details it is imperative that language experts be involved from the very beginning from the perspective of a localization professional, being involved in the design and production phase avoids rushing the process and produces a more impactful result. And mm-hmm. I think this pretty much captures the, the sentiment we're trying to get across here. But yes. may, maybe, is, is there like an example from the game where or this could be, and I, I know you used one about like the name of a palace slash mm-hmm. clan. Um, that, that's yeah, some, the game. some of, the, some of the, the translations that were corrected according to the mod creators ha- had to do with things that perhaps there wasn't enough context there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, there are specific examples about names of characters that, let, uh, let's say, like the, the, for example, there's one that's called the Guardian 8, and um, the name in Japanese is actually um, monkey ape, no, monkeys something, uh, lion, monkey lion. Um, and oh. uh, yeah, so the many fans were not happy that the, you know, they changed the name and make it seem that the ape is there to guard the lotus when actually he's Anyways, yeah. <laughs> so just think about the game that, you know, fans who, like, and again, like, these are, like, these, these people are, they, there is, like, great fanatism surrounding certain IPs, right? Mm-hmm. Like, people are super passionate about this, right? It's, it's really, truly part of their life. So they um, they want to see that commitment in the, in the localization. And again, many things could be... Um, 
a stylistic or preferential. But others, and in this case, people felt that many of the names were missing certain key aspects that they wanted to see. Yeah. Like, oh, actually this name, like this dragons is actually referring to the Sakura tree from Japan, right? And in the localization by translating this divine dragon or something like that, that's completely lost. Or this, this is actually a reference to this Japanese clan. And don't you see like the architecture of the place is referring to that clan and how come it's not, you know, uh, transpassing the name? <laughs> Again, many things, um, and, I, and I have to say here, may, many of the things are not like um, the localizer's fault, so to say, because um, many sure, sure. times we have character restrictions, for example, that really prevent uh, <laughs> the localizers from providing a name that explains the whole reference, right? You need to come up with a name that uh, will be short enough to fix in the, in the UI. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm rambling here. <laughs> no, no, this, yeah, I, I'm, I'm learning. You're rambling, but I'm learning. So, so keep <laughs> rambling, please. Uh, I'll, I'll bring up another quote here, um, kind of along the lines of what we're talking about here, we're talking about moving localization left um in the in the value chain or in the in the mm -hmm. content creation chain and you say communication and collaboration as key ingredient to localization overall i believe the localization work of sekiro shadows die twice was a massive endeavor for the localization team and one to be celebrated given the large number of archaic words and cultural and historical references the mixed reviews surrounding the localization could be due to how different factors in the development phase can be affected by the lack of involvement of the localization team. The developers took great care in portraying aspects of Japanese history and culture in beautiful detail, but unfortunately, this immersive experience was sometimes lost in other languages. While some details may be idiosyncratic, their interaction with story elements could lead to the story not making sense to Western players. And this, to, to your point about, it's not necessarily the localizer's fault, because mm -hmm. if something has a deeper cultural or historical meaning or is like a play on words or a mm -hmm. double entendre or something like that, it, that information isn't necessarily getting to the localizer. Um, because of the workflow. And so this is, is supporting of the case that you're saying is like it would be better, better outcome for localization could be making sure that localization is involved earlier on in the process. But what I want to ask you is in practical terms, what does that look like getting localization involved earlier in the process? And I guess a follow-up question to that would be, is that feasible in a real world environment? Because I, I know it's, it's, it's easy to say, yes, we need to be involved yeah. earlier, but you know, there's yeah. timelines to be hit and everyone's got different yeah. goals. And talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah, no, I do believe it's very feasible actually to get localization involved early. And that might look many different ways. It might look in the um, getting them involved with uh, how how th how things are going in the development, like where are they going with the game, what things are they thinking, like the names that they're creating, the spaces that they're creating. Though there are many things that can come up just right there and then to a localizer, uh, where they're like, okay, this is this is gonna be a problem for these languages, or this might be a problem for this culture. So perhaps we can think about adapting it this other way, right? So you're in time there in the design uh, phase to apply, apply those changes. Whereas when they come afterwards, when the game has already been developed and it's usually traditionally done this way, right? It's, it's uh, 
after the game's been developed, um, right. it, it is sent to, to, to localization. And then many issues come up there where localizers are kind of having to juggle um, things that cannot be changed. So yep. we need to adapt it somehow for this yeah. market. Figure <laughs> but, it out. Um, but um, many games, um, many games uh, actually have uh, involved, especially when games um, have certain aspects that will be particularly sens sensitive to a certain market. Um, uh, legally, for example. Um, well, there's all sorts of rating systems, and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I know it's a reg it regulated. I mean, not right, so regulated right. as like life sciences, perhaps, mm -hmm. but it, there are different regulations for what can and can't no, go definitely. into video games. Yeah, there are certain things you can show in certain markets and certain things you um, cannot show in certain markets. Like, you cannot show blood, or you cannot show skeletons, right. or you cannot show zombies, or you cannot show people with four fingers, <laughs> like, like random things that okay. for certain markets, like they're not acceptable. So yeah. they, they, you know, so, <laughs> um, so those are things that uh, it's really important to tackle before you launch the game. And that's where, where localization, I think, can really help. And maybe that's in the way of getting a localization consultant uh, instead of getting like the right. whole localization team, right? It could be like getting a localization consultant as part of the team when you are developing um, the actual game. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. You don't necessarily need a full localization team involved at that early stage. But and mm -hmm. we've done work like that here at Nimsy Insight, where we'll mm -hmm. do a cultural review of a video game um, in, right. before right. it goes to localization. And it's, it's frequently a Japanese game that we'll be mm -hmm. reviewing. Um, mm -hmm. And particularly with the Japanese games, there's this added complexity because... And, you're the expert here, so I'll let you speak on it. But typically, they're developed in Japanese, but then for the localization purposes, rather than finding Japanese to German translators and Japanese mm -hmm. to French translators and mm -hmm. all that stuff, typically they're translated into English as a first step. And then the English is used for the localization process. And in my mind, that's, I mean, it's not ideal, it be just because it, it's a copy of a copy of a copy at, at mm -hmm. that point, right? So there's um, two different phases where mistakes or faux pas can be introduced. One is the translation from Japanese to English, mm -hmm. and the other from English into the other language. Can can elaborate yeah. a little bit on that process? Because I think it's a fascinating workaround that's been Yeah, created. you kind of lose a layer of nuance, right, by doing that. But yeah. yes, it is uh, most often than not games who are developed in say Japanese or Chinese usually will be localized into English and from English into all other languages right so for this this one in particular like I was really intrigued because I played the game in Japanese uh, with uh, Spanish subtitles and there were European Spanish subtitles so I was uh, actually comparing some of the things that the mod developers talked about like some of the names and the uh, references that were lost in the localization of the of the names and it turns out like the spanish version were all matching the the english right so like the guardian abe was simio guardian in spanish right so just exactly matching the english it wasn't like and the, and the, the english spanish was version. already not matching the japanese so that's it, not it was, something exactly, that the spanish exactly, localizer exactly. even could have known so, in those i mean it, it can be done really well and it, it is usually 
done uh, really well if you have a really, really solid globalization into English. But again, it's that nuance that kind of gets lost in the, yeah. you know, from one language and then from that language to another language. So you're farther away from the original version, so to say. Yeah, just an another layer of complexity up in another there. layer of complexity but sometimes it's um it's interesting to actually get the um the original source even as, as a reference mm -hmm. just uh, if you find a name or uh, especially especially for proper names and things that names that carry meaning you know that, that are proper names but carry some sort of meaning and uh, having that reference even if the translators don't uh, particularly speak uh, for example in this case japanese and being able to check what the Japanese version actually uh, means uh, could lead to a different interpretation. So I think I always advise, and I think it's it's useful to actually have the original source language as well, even if yeah. we are translating from English. Well, and are there like footnotes? Laura Lobato Bars in the comments says footnotes aren't always available, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Like how good of a job do the developers do of actually footnoting and adding comments and mm -hmm. stuff like that? Or would that be the job of a localization consultant, as you mentioned? Mm -hmm. uh, it depends. It, I mean, <laughs> It, it depends, depends so yeah, much. Like, are we talking about the like, standard like, answer super in our mature AAA developer that has an in-house localization team, or are we talking about an indie developer who's never localized their game and they're completely new to it, right? So they're going to need a lot more consulting and a lot more hand-holding and a lot more um, advice from uh, the translation team or whomever uh, decides to localize the game. Um, I think it, in those cases where you don't get uh, all those uh, that Laura mentioned footnotes, but uh, yeah, it can be like uh, um, straight string context or um, just like context information that is uh, yep. vital to uh, to the game. Um, it's very important to establish a process to to be able to get those. Um, what, what this could be in the sense of uh, like maybe a description. Um, or it could be an, an image or a video or something yeah. that shows what we're localizing. And, how... and, and some, some developers are super uh, proactive in this. Like okay. they will provide you with this. And others you, you will need to help them cope with. Query sheets, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Yes, yeah, query sheets. So it could be uh, pro pro uh, more proactive, even like um, like even before they send the, the localization bundle, right? It could be like make sure you prepare the files this way, and we need this uh, information in the strings, like okay. it gives us like the context. So um, just helping them uh, export the files correctly and and get all the context that we can get from those strings. And, and what, so let's say there is, I don't want to say a bad translation, but an less than ideal translation, mm -hmm. you know, talking about guardian apes, right? For example, a uh, translation mm -hmm. doesn't capture everything. You mentioned the, the modding community and for Sekiro, there was a mod that was released that fixed, fixed a lot of the translations or improved a lot of the translations. How often in, do game developers actually modify translations via patches, post-release patches and updates? Oh, that is so common. That is very, is very common. Okay, so they actually mm -hmm. do do that. Yes. Okay. Yes. I mean, of course, it depends on the game and the developer and the like, but it, it is common that translation bugs or errors or things are patched. Okay. 
uh, yeah, and then you don't see them once you update the game. Which, uh, I mean, if you have the opportunity to do that, that's really great to be able to do that. Yeah, well. <laughs> and not just leave the, the error there lingering with all angry fans in forums. There's a lot of bugs. Talking about it. <laughs> yeah, translation is just one of them. Yeah. So, um, another going to the comments here. Daniel says, can you please talk about the menus and lore, how the menus and lore are localized, and how common is it that translated strings don't fit the UI elements? So kind of two mm -hmm. different questions there. Menus and lore, I, I imagine, mm -hmm. bring their own complexities yeah. to it. I mean, for the for for games, that that's the thing. Like you need to you need to understand the the lore of the game, like uh, the whole context of the game. Like, uh, where does it come from? Is it is this? Um, there are are there previous versions of the game, for example, or is it based in a in a particular work of art uh, or a particular um, uh, yeah director that worked on other series? Like you need to really truly understand the the game's universe to be able to localize correctly, or at least be given all the the reference uh, needed to be able to localize correctly. In terms of buttons. Again, it depends so much on the developer and on the game. Are we talking about like a mobile game? Obviously, there's like um, uh, a lot more restrictions in terms of um, character characters that can fit in the UI and things like that. So that, those uh, tend to be a lot trickier. And um, again, it, it also depends on the language, right? Um, there are languages that are incredibly tricky when it comes to um, uh, character and character restrictions and um, how they show in the UI. Um, Thai comes to mind, for example, this is a really tricky language for buttons and UI because um, they they have really long without uh, no segmentation um, phrases, right? And you need right. to know where, where to break can, it. Um, uh, introduce a line break without exactly. the um, the meaning changing drastically. Um, same for Chinese, this is another language that's really tricky because some of the characters um, actually um, use double characters. So um, yeah, they're just tricky languages and languages that go from right to left um, and have all, all sorts of- uh, uh, I was debating really whether even to bring that up, the RTL. <laughs> And I was, as you were talking, I was like, should I ask about right to left languages? And I was like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm a, not going to ask about that. That's a whole different uh, topic. We could talk about that. But yeah, that, that's really tricky for the UI because you really do need to rethink it, basically. And um, uh, the, the, you can use the mirroring. That, that, that definitely helps. It gets but... you part of the way there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, yeah, ideally, you will... Ideally, the, the design team will work with you to redesign some some of the things so that uh, those uh, speakers get the same experience, yeah. basically. Well, and, and tell me about the... So when you're working on a, a game localization project, you're working with... the These major developers have localization departments and teams, mm -hmm. right? Um, are you working primarily with them or do you ever find yourself in situations where you're working with other teams within the organization? Mm -hmm. I'm thinking like specifically like testing, like what, is, what does the testing process look like? What is the, um, or if you're working on marketing content, are you working directly with these other teams or is it typically funneled through a localization department? Yeah, it depends. It depends really on the of company. Course, yeah. Um, usually if they have 
a localization team, things tend to be centralized through them, mm -hmm. which is um, ideal, I think, because they uh, have all the the right style guides and the right processes. They use the right technology. They use the right term bases, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the ideal. But yes, we do work with other departments as well, namely we work with marketing departments. We work, we work with HR departments. From this, this is from actual like gaming companies. Um, yeah, so that can be um, that can be more challenging and again not ideal, but um, it it happens. Yeah. And it really depends on how the company has set up their localization structure. Sure. Really. And I want to go back actually a little bit. You mentioned that you played Sekiro in Japanese with Spanish, Iberian Spanish. And I did not beat the game, by the way. You did. Oh, oh come and being vulnerable on the podcast. That's all right. This is a safe space. You can, you can be honest. It's really hard. I don't know if anyone. I haven't attempted it yet. It. I have not, <laughs> but it's on my list. I'm afraid to. <laughs> I'm afraid to. <laughs> because my parry timing sucks. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> I, I play a mage and build. There's a lot of that in this game. Yes. Yeah, I, I play a mage build typically, so I'm not looking forward to Sekiro. But that's neither here nor there. Um, subs versus dubs, basically, is mm -hmm. what I want to ask you about. Uh, yeah. You yeah. mentioned like it would have been nicer if you had had a Spanish um, dubbed version. How mm -hmm. how is oh, that? Or also like a version for Latin America, right? Because okay. I'm from Latin America and sure. I was playing with the European Spanish version, which is never ideal, right? It really does disrupt your your immersive experience when you're, uh, yeah, it, it's just like terminology and expressions and everything's so different that it, it does uh, disrupt it. So that was my sort of my ass to, oh, that would have been really nice <laughs> yeah. if we had, had a, a version for Latin American um, Spanish. But this game actually in particular had really good reviews when it comes to the uh, dubbing for English. The, the okay. fans were really happy with the, uh, the dubbing work for English. And I actually uh, watched some videos just to, to see what they were talking about, what they did with the voices. And I, I did think they did a great job too. So. Yeah. just my final opinion but um but yeah dubbing versus subtitle that of course uh depends on what they want to achieve right with the game um what type of game it is uh, for what markets etc uh, etc et of course the dubbing process is a lot more costly and uh, uh, long and then the subtitling so many many times this uh, is a very determining factor to what the developers want to do if they want to just go with subtitles yeah because I, I can think some of the games that are out there nowadays just have so many lines of voiceover so mm -hmm. many lines um it's like every npc has 50 different mm -hmm. things that they can say especially with like open-ended games where um you have different conversations yeah. and different responses to different things yeah it can get very very costly <laughs> to yes, exactly. to dub yes. an entire game yeah. um it does provide um, an incredible experience, though, for yeah. the players in those markets. And it does provide more accessibility also, which is super important. 
Which, so, yeah, unfortunately, though, I think, though, can, I think it, it comes down to ROI. Yeah, and yeah, it, it comes down to ROI too, right? Mm -hmm. Is are the shareholders going to be happy that I spent X amount of money mm -hmm. to get Y amount of money? Like, yeah, yeah. How interested are they in this market and winning over this player base, right? And so, on the terms of money, in, in your experience working with um, game game localization, how cost sensitive is this vertical? In, within the context, because you have a lot of familiarity with the larger localization with different industries as well, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So, what are, what are their main priorities? Are they extremely cost sensitive, or are they willing to pay a little bit more to get the right mm -hmm. um, team mm -hmm. in place? Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, Again, this varies so much. I feel like generalizing does a dis disservice, really, because if we're talking about an indie game developer, the the, the cost m must be really uh, they have no be money. really important to them because yeah. uh, you know they have the funding that they have, and um, they might be a lot more restricted. For um, bigger companies and more mature companies, uh, in terms of uh, utilizing localization. Um, Cost is really not at the top of the list. Like really, um, time is very sensitive in this industry. We have uh, special launches, um, uh, very strict deadlines to to meet, um, and it's very uh, fast paced when it comes to um, er everything really surrounding localization for this industry. Not just the game itself, but um, the marketing, the promotional material, everything surrounding the game right because a lot of the content that we localize is not just the in-game text but also um anything uh surrounding the game again legal it can yeah. be legal documents it can be uh packaging it can be the game manual it can be uh, marketing promotional editorials etc all sorts of uh, of different things so um time is of the essence really in this industry so um deadlines uh i would say probably the most important thing like are you able to meet uh to meet the the, the requirements for for deadlines and then uh, quality and when i talk about quality here um it it, it really encompasses like how are you gonna be win win over our player base in this market like it really needs to go above and beyond there's a big like user experience with the players yeah, yeah in a way are you using like you know transcreation and are you like conveying the say humor of the game in, in the same way are you going to be able to connect with that audience and um and 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 this audience notices Sure. I can tell you. Yeah. Gamers know. They notice and they post about it online. Very vocal about it. <laughs> they have Twitter accounts. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and they're not afraid to yes, use them. And Quora and, and, and Reddit. Yes, and, um, yeah. Yes, they will be loud about this. Um, uh, so usually that's extremely important because it's a work, a work of art and developers have, you know, yeah. poured their heart and soul into this game, like thought about every possible detail, like, uh, every line that they, you know, tweaked to, to have this like witty meaning and things like that. So um, they're really handing you like their baby and be like, are you going to yeah, be able to yeah, like, take care of it? Produce the same results in the other markets because like it's so important to us, like uh, the tone, the voice, like the references, everything in the game. Um, so that's, I would say, is is a lot more important to this industry than um, 
pricing. Well, because of, so while we're on the topic of pricing and because this seems like a very creative endeavor, um, there's an ongoing debate. There always will be an ongoing debate in our industry about pricing structure and per mm -hmm. word pricing. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people ask me, do you think per word pricing is a good model? And mm -hmm. my answer is no, it's not. <laughs> but I think it's the best model. Right. That's what we have right now. Okay, right. Exactly. <laughs> but this seems like with we were getting into multimedia and game and interactive localization. Mm -hmm. um, and I haven't even asked you about metaverse, but I suppose I should ask you about that. <laughs> um, per word pricing is kind of becoming obsolete because the level of detail and insight and research and all mm -hmm. of these things that you're expecting of the localizers is not really conducive to per-word pricing. How do you reconcile that when you're yeah. asking the translators to do so yes. much? Yeah, I, absolutely. I 100% agree that in this- And, in and this I'll say, I know you're a big translator advocate, right? So that's one yes, of the I things Yes, I mean, I'm a translator that, myself. Exactly. So like, I completely understand this role. Like yeah. I remember, um, I remember translating games myself where I was like, this game is like all rhymes. It's all poetry. And it rhymes, and you need to like localize. Like, and I'm getting paid the same per word rate. Localize this game. You can't yeah. pay that per word. Right. Like, if you pay that per word, what does it mean? It's gonna take like two hours of your work when reality it might take like two days. Right. To actually do that, right? So I think that's that's where it's really important. Where ideally the person that you're working with, like your your client, so to say, understands the process. Usually when they have a localization team in-house, they have a, a lot more understanding of, of what it entails. So these are very important conversations to have. Like uh, if, if, for example, this uh, character list that we have will require that uh, the players, like uh, the, sorry, the linguists uh, actually play the game spend hours of their day playing the game to understand the dynamics or watching videos of gameplay of the game. Those things definitely, I think, should be compensated accordingly. So it should be talked uh, with the developers, right? Like we'll need this amount of hours from the linguists so that they can um, and watch all these videos, get uh, all that, that reference material. And then we might need like these extra hours because the, 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 the amount of like transcription that will be needed for these uh, names, if that's what's decided, for example, to, to transcreate sure. those, um, it will be different than a, than a per word, right? So those are conversations that it's, it's really uh, important to have with your clients and clients yeah. will understand, like if you, so they do. Um, okay, sit good. down with them and explain and show, and uh, they, they they will understand. They they won't be usually <laughs> unreasonable with those things. But that's why it's important also to really understand the specialization. Because well, we're not talking about I'm sending you a document translated back, uh, and where I'm paying you a per word rate, and, yeah. and and that's it. That's that's that might not be the the end of the story for the specialization. Can they can have a lot of more different things, a lot more complex. Okay. And, 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 and it sounds to me like the clients that you are dealing with really understand the value of quality localization, which isn't always the case in other verticals. In other verticals, you really have to explain to them, like, here's mm -hmm. what could happen if you have a bad. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it sounds to me like those conversations are not only possible, but can actually be met with, yeah. can be welcomed by the client. Yes. 
Yes, uh, that's the ideal client, right? The one that uh, understands what you do and listens to you and wants to have those conversations, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so we are fortunate to work with clients like that and it's really a pleasure to work that way. Um, but you you have everything, like you have people who don't understand and, and, and need more, um, more, more consulting sure, or sure, sure. Um, more information or, you know, deeper conversations about certain things and um yeah it varies across the board so much it depends a consultant's favorite answer right it depends it depends Uh, we have just one more question from chat and i think we'll start wrapping it up here Um, but um danielle ferrari asked is the localization into latin american varieties quite a common practice nowadays Mm -hmm. i've seen some localizations in the mexican spanish for instance life is strange too Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, what what is the typical? And of course, it's going to depend, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, and then <laughs> then I'll read the follow up. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna direct you uh, to um, another article I wrote for Multilingual Magazine that talks about this specific subject about uh, Latin American Spanish and like um, that's a subject I'm very passionate about because that is my my uh, native language. Uh, usually. And I'm going to generalize here, companies will go to uh, neutral Latin American Spanish because it can be understood by over 20 languages in Latin America. And sure, it's not ideal because it's a sort of like a more washed out version of of Spanish, right? It doesn't use so many colloquialisms or slang or things that are specific to uh, a certain country, regionalisms, right? And so... It, it lacks that, but it um, it has that understanding. Like Latin American um, people are very used to consuming multilingual, um, uh, sorry, multimedia content into Latin American Spanish. Like things are dubbed and subtitled into uh, a neutral Latin American Spanish. Uh, uh, so we're, we're very used to consuming that and <clears throat> and it works for so many different countries, right? Um, now, some some publishers and developers will go further and localize for a specific variant if they are particularly interested in that market and if it makes sense for the type of game, the type of genre, mm-hmm. and the player base that they have in that place. So, for the game that you were mentioning that they localize into Mexican Spanish, that's a common variant that uh, people would go to if they have a good player base in Mexico and they really want to target Mexico and they want to be able to use more like regionalisms and things but but also there's a lot of misunderstanding uh, in in this regard where people are, are talking about Mexican Spanish but they actually mean Latin American Spanish and they want to target you know everyone else um, so so it varies. But you can read the article and let so me know what you think. There, there's your answer, on this subject. Danielle. So the article is The Challenge of Localizing Video Games for Latin American Spanish. You can just search for it at multilingual.com. And I believe it's from 2021. So go check it out. Uh, one more. I, I lied. One more comment <laughs> that's slipping through the in, in at the last moment here. At the last minute here, uh, Kyle Chow asked, it was mentioned in the article that Quote, the developers took great care in portraying aspects of Japanese history and culture in beautiful detail. 
but that immersion can get lost to Western audiences. Given that much of this immersion is dependent upon knowing all these Japanese history and cultural things, do you think there's any way to get around this, or do we just need to accept that much of this will be lost in translation? Kyle, yes. I mean... That's a good question. That's a thought-provoking question. That is a really question. good question, because yes, many things will inevitably be lost just because language itself is different and culture itself is different and you cannot replicate something exactly the same way, right? Um, I think in the, the particular case of this game, though, um, the, the fact that some of these references could have been included in the localization um, is what, what frustrated some of the fans, right? Like, uh, in particular, names that that carry meaning beyond the name, right? They're not just a name. They are making a reference to something very specific that should not be lost. Like, they're little details, but um, but then again, yes, I agree with you. Of course, you cannot replicate um, old uh, Japanese uh, culture culture and language references, especially and, the type of language that is used in the game. Just, and there's kind yeah, of a, the appeal to it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like there, mm -hmm. there's an appeal to that, like the mm -hmm. different being exposed to a different culture. Like you wouldn't mm -hmm. want it mm -hmm. localized 100 percent. Right. Right. Because mm -hmm. I think one of the appeals to a game like Sekiro is for right. a Western audience is getting a, a glimpse into that culture. Exactly. And there are many things that as a fan you can look look up. Right. Like Sekiro uh, in Japanese is making reference to that the main character has one arm and is a like a wolf so it's a it means one one armed wolf basically the name and uh, you don't you know you don't get that in the localization you get Sekiro so if you are interested in learning more uh, you can always like research more and be like oh actually Sekiro well oh, that's a great that's example like, this, right? why not why not translate the name of the game to one armed wolf man mm -hmm. it, right it, it could have been done it could have been, been a, a very like you know, like risky thing to do, maybe, but it could have been uh, localized as a one-armed wolf. Also, yeah. like secure sounds a lot cooler, but it could have been. Um, those are just like honestly um, important decisions that uh, developers and publishers need to take. Yep. All right. Well, now we are running out of time, so thank you, everybody in chat. Um, go check out terratranslations.com, everybody um follow marina on linkedin marina any closing thoughts before we wrap this up for today well um if anyone is going to go to lock world That's next right. month i will be talking there we'll be doing two presentations one about localization of marketing content for the gaming industry and then another one about the metaverse and xr technology applied to localization so I hope to see you there if anyone's watching and wants to come say hi. You'll, <laughs> you'll see me there, Marina. I will nice. be there. I'm, I am I need to book it. I, I still haven't got my ticket yet. I still haven't prepared my presentation yet. Um, but <laughs> supposedly I'm presenting and I will be there. So I will see you there as well as everybody else. So I will close it out here. 
Thank you very much. I appreciate our guest today, Marina Elari. I appreciate my colleagues here at MC Insights doing all the hard work. I appreciate everybody in our industry responding to industry surveys and scheduling briefing with us, briefings with us so that we can include you in our latest published industry research. And finally, I appreciate you, the audience who are joining us live today, all of the dialogue and chat, everyone who left questions, comments, and especially criticisms. And I look forward to next time. Cheers. Thank you.